So will you guys welcome Jim Hennessy? God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Uh, actually, I, I, was, I was able to be at my church first service, so it worked out pretty good, right? right. And it is kind of a debt of gratitude because um, it's a complicated story and one that you're not really that interested in. But uh, 20 years ago, actually, 20 years ago, when, when I took the responsibility of Trinity Church, uh, the Woodies were already on staff there at Trinity Church, and uh, the church, re- my leadership needed some, some friend, needed some friends that would stand by us. And Tim and Rebecca um, did that. They during a really really tough time. They uh, they came alongside. They're they're good to have on your team, right? They really are. And so it, uh, we we owe them more than they owe us. Probably is the way that works. I'd like to jump right into this word. I think it's a word for your church. I think it's a word for you. So uh, there is those of you who have frequented Trinity, you know, there's a tradition that I am unflinching on, and it's that you stand while we read the scripture. So I know you've been up and down, up and down, like when you were at your Catholic church, but that's okay. Um, Do you mind standing just to honor the reading of God's word? And I want to talk to you for a few moments today about what every heart needs to know. What every heart needs to know. And the text is out of John chapter 8. So um, why don't you follow along as I read. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus said, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not, I am not alone. I stand with the Father. I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true, and I'm one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they ask him, where is your Father? They said that with their tongue in their cheek. He said, you do not know me or my Father. Jesus replied, if you knew me, you would know my Father. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. And um, this is actually God's word. You may be seated. You know, you can read it for yourself. Jesus blew the brains. He blew the thinking of these religious leaders. Uh, I'm from Camden, Arkansas. I'm sure you're not because it's a terrible town to be from. And uh, can anything good come from Camden, Arkansas? But um, Jesus was from a far worse town. And um, I remember last year when the cornerback for the Seattle Seahawks said, I'm the best cornerback in the NFL. Everybody rolled their eyes and they went, you're ridiculous. And yet when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, They did a whole lot more than roll their eyes. And what I love about Jesus is when they pushed back, he didn't blink. 
right? He didn't go, oh, well, let me explain myself. No, he, he leaned in. He didn't come apart when they howled at him. And even when his own friends, even when his own disciples found his claims hard to swallow, Jesus, um, you know, I mean, there was a time when even his own family thought, you know, we think he needs therapy. We think he's narcissistic. Um, we don't really know. Even his own family. But Jesus, come on, somebody, never lost his poise. He never lost his poise. He never felt the need to compare himself with the guy next door. He, you know, in fact, my favorite, one of the favorite, I don't know what my favorite observation of Jesus is, but one of my favorite observations of Jesus is simply this. The guy was emotionally secure. The guy was really whole. He carried a lot of peace on the inside. My favorite saying in that text is really, it's his motto, I think. Verse 14, Jesus, he says it two, three times. He says, I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. And what I think that means is something like this. It really doesn't matter to me what you say about me because I know who I am. It doesn't really matter to me if, if you criticize me because your criticisms don't damage me. I know who I am. And the question that I'd like to just begin with this morning is a simple one, and it's something like this. What if you lived with that kind of poise? You know? What if criticism didn't devastate you, and what if you didn't need to try to please everybody all the time, and what if you believed in yourself when nobody else really did? There's an important principle, and if anybody asks you, what did he preach about? This would be what you would tell them, uh, this principle right here. What you belong to affects your behavior. What you belong to affects your behavior. If you belong to a gang, you're going to do gangster stuff, right? <laughs> if you belong to a family that's had a generational curse after generation, you're going to have to deal with that. You know what you belong to um, affects the way you live. It affects the, the way you behave. And, and so if you're going to understand how Jesus was such a poised person, I think the first thing you need to know is that he didn't belong to the religious sect. He didn't belong to the political movement of the day. He belonged to his family. He belonged to his father. Um, I know you, you know that, and I'm going to try to impress you to know it in a deeper way. Uh, I really have come from across the interstate, you know, across the Metroplex to kind of cast a vision with your pastor today and you know, sort of talk about how you guys are here to manifest the love of God, to unveil the glory of God in Fort Worth. And, and, and I just want to say one of the keys to doing that is to make sure that you know who you belong to, that you belong to God and that you belong to one another in a very deep and, and particular way. You see, this passage reveals what every heart, every human heart, desperately needs. And it also reveals how to get it. And when I study the life of Jesus, when I, when I look at the way just his presence breaks shame, somebody ought to be glad because your shame is broken, right? You don't, you don't come here ashamed anymore, even though you did shameful things. And, and your isolation is broken. And what Jesus does for us is he just imparts to us what I think Paul called 
peace that passes understanding. It's like, I mean, come on, somebody. There's a lot to worry about today. There's Ebola. There's ISIS. There's the economy. There's, um, you know, climate change. There's a lot to worry about. And yet, the claim that we're making in this room this morning on the authority of this word is there's a peace that governs our life. Right? And so let's kind of break the passage down quickly, and, and then I want to pray with you. Here's the, here are the points. Number one, Jesus had poised because... He lived not alone. He did not live alone. It's right there in the text, verse 16. He says, my decisions are right. I love that confidence. I don't make wrong decisions, says Jesus. My decisions are right because I am not alone. Hmm. It was actually just a few weeks ago that the cover of Time magazine had the picture of Robin Williams. Do you remember that? And a few weeks before that, you know, had the picture of uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. And before that, you could think of somebody else. And before that, you can think of somebody else. And the, and the question posed by Time Magazine, and it was in my own heart, was how can someone with so much achievement, someone with so much talent, live in such tragedy? How, how could someone like that keep such a tragic secret? And I think part of the answer is that there's a deep lie, a deep deception embedded in the culture that we're living in today. And it's something like this. If you achieve enough, you will become significant. And yet here are some people who have achieved incredible stuff and they don't feel significant enough to live. And, and you see, when that lie is exposed, that your significance comes through your achievement, when that lie is exposed, the headlines are going to be disastrous, you see. Achievement does not bring emotional security. Do you, have you learned that yet? Are you old enough to know that? Achievement does not bring the peace that you're looking for. Um, you know, people, most of us have been rejected by our parents. We know what it is to not be kicked, picked for the kickball team in fifth grade. We know what it is not to get the part that we auditioned for. And, and we know what it's like to be left off the invitation list when everybody else seems to be invited. And when that happens to us, something comes into our soul, into our psyche, and, and it kind of goes two ways. It can either go like, I'll show them. I'll just, I'll just prove my value. I'll just, I'll just leverage and prove to them they should have invited me to the party, you know. Or it goes the other way, and it's kind of like, well, what's wrong with me? Why can't I belong? Why am I so isolated? And, and what happens is either the result of the hatred of everybody else or the hatred of self, and sometimes it's a combination of both of those, but this explains how emotionally wounded people actually sometimes end up as the highest achievers in society because they're learning to leverage their aloneness. Is this making sense to you? You guys are with me, right? You're okay? Like they leverage their aloneness. Or on the other hand, they just implode. They end up harming themselves, sometimes harming other people because every one of us are starving for someone to come along and say, you matter. I want you to belong, you see. And I love to, I love to see that from the perspective of Jesus. In Luke chapter 3 and a couple other places in the Bible, Jesus introduces himself to the culture, and he does it at a plunge party. 
And um, he, you, you know the story probably, John Baptist is baptizing all those people. And, and by the whole power of the Holy Spirit, John Baptist sees Jesus and he introduces him. He says, ah, this is, the, this is the Lamb of God. This is the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus gets baptized, which is the public way by which Jesus said, I belong. I belong now. I've been baptized. It's a whole other sermon, but I'll let Pastor Tim preach, preach that one. And do you know what happened when he was baptized? The Father's voice came out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit came and empowered Jesus with peculiar and powerful anointing. And all of a sudden, Jesus knows, I'm in the family now. I'm here. I belong. I, this is what I was made to do. And even though he had left heaven, here he is in the, in the earth. And he knows his, his identity is established. And immediately what happens? goes into the wilderness. He faces temptation. And do you remember the language of the temptation? Every one of those temptations began with, you don't know who you are. If you are the son of God, you better prove it because nobody around here believes it. <laughs> you, you're going to have to achieve something. You're going to have to prove your, your, yourself. And, and, and he resisted all of those temptations, and he comes out of the wilderness with, I, I just like to say, he comes out swinging, okay? He comes out with an attitude. Can, can I preach to you like this? He comes out saying, look, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. You know, he's, he's, not, he's not meek and mild Jesus. He's like, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and I'm going to preach the gospel to the poor, and I'm going to set the captives free, and I'm going to open the prison doors, and I'm going to cause lame people to walk again. And he's got a little bit of an attitude here, you see. And he's walking in his identity, and he's got this transcendent awareness that, you know, that's like, get out of my way because I'm in Fort Worth to rescue the world. You know, that's what he said. But, but I like to notice the sequence, the sequence by which this developed Jesus' emotional wholeness. There's a sequence here. And if you don't get this right, you're not going to go very far in the peace that God has come to bring you. Let me, let me see if I can explain. There's a little bit of a teaching, so that means I'm not going to talk loud for the next few minutes, okay? It's, it's a little bit of a teaching, so put your concentration on Here's the first thing that happened when Jesus was baptized. He became emotionally aware of his unparalleled acceptance. He knows that he is accepted by his Father. The, the voice from heaven, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And what I like about it is Jesus has not opened one blind eye. He has not walked on water. He's not recruited any disciples to come and join the leadership team. None of that has happened yet. And yet he believes, he knows that he is accepted. He, he comes out of the baptism and going, you know what? I am not an orphan. I am not alone. I am not isolated. I'm accepted. I'm accepted. I had lunch just a few weeks ago with a, with a pastor who at one point had a great church in the area. And this was years ago, but he lost his ministry. He lost his family. He lost his reputation. He lost, he lost everything. And it was because of a chemical addiction. He, he just couldn't break it. He just kept doing drugs over and over again. And I, I had walked with him through that for a couple of years and wept with him through that. And, you know... So then he went away, and when he came back, he looked me up, and, and I was like, 
I was like, tell me what that was all about. Because now he's been clean for a few years. And, and I was like, tell me what was going on with you way back in that day. And I'll never forget this sentence. He said, well, Jim, let me explain it. He said, my demons were operating unmolested because I had been put too high too fast. He said, my gift took me way past my character. This guy was so trying to find himself trying to belong to the religious culture through his performance instead of believing he was accepted by the blood of Jesus Christ. Is this, I think this is a danger in the religious community. Do you? I really think we do this, this to one another. But Jesus knew he was accepted, and after he was accepted, he lived so strong because his belonging, he knew he was accepted, he knew he, be, he belonged to his father, so he gave him the second attitude in his heart, and it's like this, because I'm accepted, I am sustained, I have sustenance, I know my father is going to take care of me because I'm accepted. You know what, there are people who, I think, I think Tim and Rebecca are probably, some of them, they could come into my house today, we leave our doors unlocked because we have a really bad dog that if you come in and you, they don't know you, it's, the same, it's better than a lock, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, um, there are people who actually can just walk in my house right now, open the refrigerator and eat my food. It's the craziest thing, right? But it's because they're what? They're family. They belong. See, they belong. <laughs> Jesus is in the wilderness, and, and here's the deal. You can't be who you claim. You can't be the son of God. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm not living by your bread. I am living by the word that has come from my father. I'm not worried about whether or not I'm going to be provided for because I know I am accepted. Because I know I belong, I know I'm going to get what I need. And so Jesus, uh, Jesus was completely invulnerable to the temptation. He didn't need the devil's kingdoms. He didn't need the devil's nations. He didn't need the devil to bow down and worship him because he was accepted. He was accepted, therefore he knew his needs were going to be met. You can just say amen or again or something, and he kind of goes, this is pretty good stuff, right? But I did get loud. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. But there's a third step in his emotional wholeness. Not only was he accepted, and not only did he know he was going to be sustained because he was accepted? The third thing that happened was he walked out in his significance. He came out of the wilderness through the temptation, filled with the Holy Spirit, declaring war on poverty, declaring war on diseases, and he had his attitude going. He's like, you guys have no idea who you are messing with because even though I'm from the wrong town and even though my father is AWOL, we don't even know where he is by this time, and my earthly father, you know, even though I can't get an endorsement from the religious leaders hanging around here, I don't even care that you criticize me. I don't even care what you're saying behind my back. All I care is I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. I care what my father says. He's the one that established my acceptance. He's the one by which I know my needs are going to be met. And therefore, I come out with a, with a little bit of a significance. Can I tell you, just because you 
Just because you are aware of the fact that you're chosen by God, that God has assigned you here to be a city leader, to walk alongside the mayor as an armor bearer and to release compassion, because you're aware of that, that is not the loss of humility. That is being aware of your significance in the kingdom of God. Just because you have a confidence that you can lay hands on the sick and they will recover or you can cast out a demon in Jesus' name, that's not being cocky. That's being aware of your significance and your belonging to the kingdom. Amen? And so there's just one more step, and it's this. After he, he was accepted, he knew he would be sustained, he knew that he was significant, and then finally he actually did achieve something. He actually did turn water into wine. He actually did cast out demons. He actually did heal the sick and raise the dead and take our sins and diseases. So, so here's the sequence. Acceptance, sustenance awakening to his significance and then achievement. Can I tell you that the world turns that completely around, completely around? An orphaned heart basically says something, self-talk goes like this. You know, I've got to achieve, 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 and then if I can achieve enough, I will be significant, and if I can be significant, then I will be secure. I'll have enough sustenance. I know my bills will be paid. If I can just achieve and be significant, then I'll be secure, and, 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 and I'll have sustenance, and then once I have enough sustenance, everybody will like me, and I'll be accepted, and that is just exactly the opposite prescription for emotional Security, it is a prescription for breakdown and isolation and worry. And so part of the testimony of Jesus is simply he was not alone. He was not alone. It's not good for a man to live alone. It's not good for a person to be alone. I'll never forget, those of you who have been under my ministry for a season, I always tell the testimony of how Beck and I had such a difficult time early when we were in the ministry, early in our marriage, and one of the turning points was <clears throat> I was a, I was a youth pastor in, a, in Montgomery, Alabama, and, and I felt this need to achieve and perform. I just wanted, it was like, I want people to love me because look at my trophies. These are the things I can do, and because I do these, you should love me. You should, you know, I can hit home runs on the church softball team, and, and I can catch big fish, and I can, you know, I can grow a large youth group, and, and because I do all these things, you should love me. But this always happens, and it happened to me one day. I was just, the pressure was so much, and I was feeling so alone and isolated, and the burden was way too much to carry, so I just went home to our apartment. We were living in an apartment at the time, and, and I didn't think Beck was there. And so I just went into my bedroom. I mean, this was my breakdown. I fell across the bed. I don't ever cry, but I was just weeping like a little baby, just crying, crying, crying. I wasn't crying out to God. I was just crying to self-pity, you know, and just feeling so sorry for myself. I did not know that my wife was in the in the apartment. And so she just snuck into the bedroom while I was there. I think she had been standing there for a while when finally she just laid down on the bed beside me. And she told me that she loved me. And for the first time, I don't know what to, I didn't know what to do, call it then. I called it, I called it like confusing love. It's like, how can you love me when you see my weakness and my failure? How can you love me when you, when you know that I'm, I'm not achieving at the level that, that I've been claiming I, I could achieve? How, how in the world can you love me like that? And, and can I just preach the gospel to you for just a moment this morning? 
listen, your heavenly father is just like the father of that prodigal son in the story. He is looking for your return. Your heavenly father is inviting you, come on, to be baptized. He's wanting to be able to declare over you, you are my beloved child. You, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to give him the offering. You don't have to go into the way. You don't have to do anything except know that he loves you and come back home. See? Live in the acceptance. Break that orphan spirit. Well, there's another point here to wholeness. The, and, you know, the first is simply Jesus didn't live alone. He did not live alone. He belonged to his father. And, and the second way that I know Jesus was so emotionally secure, so whole, was simply that he, um, he had some witnesses. He had some witnesses. How many of you know you're not a good singer until somebody says you're a good singer? Right? I mean, you can think you are, but some, Jesus had witnesses that established his identity. He had witnesses. Verse 17 says, in your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. Well, <laughs> I'm a witness for myself, and my other witness is the Father who sent me. Actually, this is a continuing conversation. In John chapter 5, Jesus lists five witnesses. He says, I know you guys don't believe that I'm the son of God. I know you don't think I am. I understand that you're always challenging my identity. I break the Sabbath. I, I, I know that you don't get who I am. But let me just tell you, there are five witnesses that prove I am who I claim to be. He says the Holy Spirit is a witness. John the Baptist was a witness. The miracles I do are witness. The scriptures that you read are witness. All of these all of these prove my claim. I am, it's not just me saying I am who I am. I have witnesses, and, and it's just a legal argument. This is a legal argument that's taking place. And, and here come the religious leaders, you know, the cousins from Nazareth. Here come, you know, they've all said, Jesus is an imposter. Let us speak over you, Jesus. We'll tell you who you really are because you can't be who you claim you are. And Jesus, I love it. I love it. I love it. Do you love Jesus? I love Jesus. He's not just Savior. He's really smart. He said, you know what? I don't even need to do this. But according to your own law, you say if two people witness, that establishes the reality. I listed five witnesses day before yesterday. Today, I'm just going to give you two more witnesses. I'm a witness to who I am, and my father's a witness to who I am. This is the application. If God says you are acceptable to him and you say you are acceptable to him, you're going to be emotionally whole. If God says you're accepted and sustained and significant and capable of achieving and you agree with him, that is enough to overturn abandonment and rejection and those words that crushed you back in the sixth grade. That is enough for you to be able to say what Jesus said. I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. I never forget, there was a kid in my youth choir. Um, we had youth choirs back when I was a youth. How old am I? You know what I'm saying? So I'm singing and practicing and rehearsing for this youth choir. And I'll never forget the end of the rehearsal. The kid comes. He was a good friend of mine. He says, Jim, he said, do you mind, do you mind not singing so loud? Because you're really a bad singer. And it just throws me off. 
And until that moment, I was pretty sure that I was headed for a national recording uh, artist, you know. I was going to probably be on The Voice or something like that. But as a result of what he said, I never sang in a choir again. I quit, you know. And I'm just saying all that to say, so, you know, where's your witness? Who's your witness? You know, anybody got a witness? I don't know. I feel like maybe I should preach this a little bit. Give me a witness, you know. Um, Who's around you that says, I believe in you? You may not be a great singer, but you're a great something because God has engineered his glory in you. And if you're alone, if you don't belong, and there's no witnesses around saying, you know, you, the glory of the I love what Proverbs 12, 18 says. It says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I don't, I've never been stabbed by a sword, but I can imagine that's a pretty uncomfortable situation. You know, in fact, the damage of a sword is so serious that once it's in, even if you pull it out, it's not going to be like it was before it went in. And the Bible says that's what reckless words are, are like. That's what reckless promises are, are, are like. That's what statements that destroy your credibility and, and, you, and your identity. I mean, whoever said sticks and stones can break my bones, but words never will, that person was confused. So some of you are here, and you're like, I've got some swords. I've got some swords in me. I mean, I have reckless words. Your, your, your parent, your husband, your teacher, your coach, whatever. I got, how, how am I going to get past that? And the answer is you've got to get some new witnesses in your life. You've got to get some, some new witnesses. I mean, the story of my church is, is like we were in turmoil. You know, Joel and LaVonda and I, we were in such craziness, and the church wasn't going to survive. It just seemed it was not going to survive at all, and yet it did. And, and, and I was doing fine as long as, you know, as, as long as there was a battle. I, I was doing good. I knew how to fight. and I was doing. But when I began to see the potential of our church, that's when I freaked out. I was like, oh, God, they need a real pastor now. And I'm probably not the one to do this, you know. I'm like, oh God, send me, you know, send me somewhere where mediocrity works, you know. Send me, send me to, send me to Fort Worth. No, I'm just kidding. I don't, not just just kidding. You're so sensitive. Look at you. You're just, you're so sensitive. Get get some emotional wholeness in your life, would you? And, and all of a sudden, you know, God began to send some. Some word of the Lord to me. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Cindy Jacobs. She's a prophet, and she started to attend our church, and she and others just began to say, Trinity Church has a destiny, and you have, you know, you're, you're more than you think you are. I'm not going to tell you all the secrets of my heart today, but it's like she, they begin to say specific things about, about my future and my destiny, just like, just like God's beginning to speak over your church and over your pastor about how you're going to impact and impart to Fort Worth and, you know, how you're here on purpose. And, and you know, I have to tell you this, but those of you who've been around Trinity, you've heard this story before. It's my baseball story. I, I, I lived in Montgomery, Alabama until I was eight years old, and I, and I played baseball till I was eight years old, but I was a terrible baseball player. And, you know, part of the reason I was a terrible baseball player is because the league I was playing in had a bunch of Catholic, uh, Catholic teams, and the pitchers, before, every time before they pitched, they would genuflect, and I thought, this is not fair. They have God on their side. And I would strike out every time. I was a terrible baseball player. 
when I lived in Montgomery, Alabama. But my parents moved from Montgomery to Columbus, Georgia, and my dad insisted I was going to play baseball in Columbus, Georgia. And don't worry, Tim, I'm going to stop after this, okay? I really am. But, but um, you know, I go to Columbus, and my dad's like, you're going to go play baseball. I don't want to play. I'm, da- I'm terrible, Dad. I'm going to make you play baseball. So we go, we meet the little league coach, and, and uh, he introduces me. He says, uh, this is my son. He wants to play on your team. And uh, the coach says, great, great. And he asked the question I was so dreading. He says, is your son a good baseball player? And I was like, Dad, please don't answer that question. And my dad looked at me and he says, my son is a great baseball player. Now I had a, 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 a dual problem because not only was I a bad baseball player, my dad was a liar. <laughs> and, he, and I just like, oh, God, what am I going to do, you know? And, and so, so the coach says, oh, great. We would love to have him on our team. What position does he play? My dad said, what position would you like him to play? The coach says, well, I really need a pitcher. My dad looked at me and he said, my son is a great pitcher. I had never pitched a baseball game before in my life. <laughs> Only in the backyard with my dad. <clears throat> the coach said, great. He can pitch today. And so that day I pitched my very first baseball game. And for those of you who are baseball aficionados, you know that this is pretty important. I pitched a perfect game. Nobody got on base the whole game. And from that day forward, I was a great baseball player. I mean, seriously, I really was a great baseball player. And I tell you that story because... Somebody needs to be a witness over your life that says you're more than who you think you are. That's what happened for Gideon. I'm the least in my family. That's what happened for Moses. He says, I stutter. That's what happened. Every person in the Bible, you know, if I could have a musician here, everybody everybody in the Bible is well rehearsed as explaining why you're not going to be able to do great things for God. (laughs) But when the Father speaks over you, says you're a great baseball player. You're a great intercessor. You're a great preacher of the gospel. You're a great businessman. You're, there's more in you. Come on. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of you. And if you feel the acceptance of that, then you can walk in a little bit of an attitude that goes, you know what? I may not have all the money in my checking account that I need, but it's okay. I don't have to, I don't have to eat the devil's bread because my father I mean, I'm getting a little more confidence in my older age. I can look at the lilies of the field. I can look at the flower, I, I can at the birds in the air, and I believe that the Lord loves me at least as much as He loves them. And they, they eat. They're cared for. And, and so I'm just trying to get you to understand that you need a new witness over your life. And when that witness declares who you are, then you agree with it, and then you belong. <laughs> And then you get in a community of friends and family like this. And instead of saying, oh, well, you ought to do better. And what's wrong with you? And I can't believe you. I saw you at that movie and whatever. I don't know. Instead of that kind of a spirit, you're just saying, like, there's more in you than you ever imagined. I see it. Someday the glory of the Lord is going to flow through you. And I, and I get a little smell of it right now. The presence of God. The glory of God. Is this making sense to you? There's one more point, but I'm not going to preach it, and it's simply this. The way to be emotionally secure, the way to be emotionally secure is to, um, yeah, I'm, I'm skipping past that. 
that holds on. Well, let me read it. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on one. But if I judge my decisions, if I judge my decisions are right because I stand with the Father who sent me. And it's just one more story. It's a story about one day I had to go to court because I drove in a, on a road that was closed. I kind of cut through the barrels and, you know. I was 16 years old and I had to go to court. And, and I went in a court. It was about this size. And there were about this many people in the courtroom. And I sat there for two hours watching people stand before the judge. No exaggeration. Every one of them got fined or sentenced or taken away. And when it came out, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to go to jail. You know, because I drove through the barrels. But, but there was one difference between myself and everybody else in the room. And it was this. When he called my name, I stood, but so did my father. He had come with me, my real father, my earthly father, not my heavenly father. My earthly father was with me. And the judge turned to him because he thought he was an attorney. Nobody had an attorney. I mean, you know, thought he was an attorney. He says, who are you? He says, I'm, I'm Jim's father. I'm here to stand with him. And when he said that, the whole demeanor of the judge turned. And he's like, 15 days probation. And I had wished that everybody else in the room had had my father to stand with them. This is how you're emotionally secure. Whatever you go through, you stand with your father. You stand with your father. I'm going to just give you one more verse because it happens to be my favorite today. And it's in 1 John 3.19. I felt like this was specific for somebody. 1 John 3.19 I have Philippians marked if I'm going to be reading 1 John. It's so silly. 1 John 3.19. This then is how we know that we belong. This then is how we know that we belong in the truth. And how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Watch this. Watch this. I need a drum roll. Not really. Whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Somebody built memory into you that says you're never going to lose that weight. You're never going to break that addiction. You're never going to overcome that temper. You're never going to be loved. You're never going to find the spouse. You're never going to somebody's built all that into you and that's your heart condemning you. And somebody today needs to worship a God who is greater than your heart. Even when you say that about yourself what I'm saying over you that's what's going to come to pass. I'm going to make you a king and a priest. I'm going to make you glorious with me forever. So, Father, I've come to bless the City Life Center. I thank you for the testimony of Jesus that's here. I thank you that there's a group of people who, like all of us, we've got history, we've got pasts, we've got ideas about shame and isolation and failure. But I decree over this today, over this house today, that this will be a place of belonging that there will be no isolation here, but we will belong to our Father and we'll belong to one another in the language that 
comes from this church is a language that says, you're amazing. I, I'm not going to excuse, a, you know, sin or, you know, character issues, but, but let's get past that because who, who you are, who the Father has chosen you to be, Lord, I just pray that that would be realized by your people. Lord, thank you that we're accepted in you. We're accepted in the beloved. Hallelujah. We don't have to prove ourselves to anybody. Thank you that out of that, we can, we can be sure that whatever we need is going to be provided. And out of that, we can bow our backs and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And out of that, we can actually do things for the glory of God. So, Lord, bless this church. Bless the testimony that you're establishing here of your greatness and your glory. In Jesus' name I pray.